Hey, um, I, I, just, I just have to say, it is, it is such a, it's such a, an honor to, to get to be here with you guys. Um, uh, Danny and Penny have really mentored Brenda and I. As you can tell, I've learned all of my grooming. Uh, everything I know about male grooming, I've learned from Danny Myers. It's been wonderful kind of watching his hair change over the years, and mine has just followed suit, so I just... Like, I've learned everything from him in that. No, seriously, though, I'll never forget. It was, I think it was like 15, 16 years ago. Uh, uh, he was doing a workshop, a weekend workshop at the Columbus Vineyard called Gospel of Wholeness. And, uh, and I didn't know exactly what it was. I loaded up a, a van full of people, and we drove down because the flyer that they put out made it seem like I couldn't probably do pastoral ministry unless I learned this stuff. And uh, it turned out to be true. And, um, and we drove down and, and we sat down and he starts unpacking this stuff. And honestly, my, my response that day at the table was, oh no, this is like counseling stuff. Like this is like people stuff, oh man. And everybody that I brought was like loving it, they're eating it up, they're like growing. And, and you get to the point, have you guys been through this? You get to the point where you start kind of writing down like some things at your empty wells. I couldn't think of one. I couldn't think of one thing I go to other than Jesus to get my needs met except maybe Brenda, my wife, and she grabbed my piece of paper and she said, here, let me write down some stuff for you. <laughs> and that was like, it was like world changing for me to, to get to meet Danny and to go through that weekend. And he's actually like, whether or not he realizes that he's taught Brenda and I really how to pastor the church. And, and how to really help people grow and connect. And they've been it's like just really good friends and mentors to us. And, and uh, it, it, it turns out that, you know, like, uh, I think it was actually not very long after that, I'd met Michael Hansen, and we invited him to come to Duluth. And he did our first ever worship conference in Duluth. And, and it was like, he, he told me on the phone when I invited him, he goes, you realize I've never done this stuff before. And I go, dude, you're Canadian. It'll be fine. Like, you're... you're <laughs> You Canadians can just talk forever. It'll be great. And you have a good sense of humor. And he really helped uh, our church kind of grow and worship. And so you guys have some amazing leaders. It's really, really cool. You got a really good, absolutely. And so it's been just a blast to be at the men's conference and get to hang out with you guys. And today we're going to talk about church planting, one of my like all-time favorite subjects. And let me tell you why. Because like it was in like a, a church that I got to know Jesus. I, I did not grow up going to church. My family, like we never, in my extended family, I didn't know anybody who went to church. I rode my bicycle and, and eventually my motorcycle by like buildings like this. And I never thought once about what went inside these buildings. I just never thought about it. I just like, I was clueless. I never had a, never had a conversation with anybody about God. I grew up on the West Coast of of this really cool country, and I just, like, it just never dawned on me. And there was this gal in high school named Shelly that I wanted to ask out. She was amazingly cute, and uh, so I would stop by her locker every Monday morning, uh, my senior year in high school, and I would ask her out, and she would say, the only place you can take me is to church, and I go, well, that ain't gonna happen, because I didn't know what went on there, but I thought you guys were weird, so I didn't, didn't want to be a part of it. And, and, uh, and, and then finally, one Monday morning, I thought my charms had worn her down because she said, yes, there's something going on in the gym tonight at the high school, and you could take me to that. And I'm like, awesome, sweet. And then I went and asked my friend, what's going on in the gym? And he said, well, there's this traveling evangelist dude. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, what's an evangelist? I had, I had no idea what any of this was. And he goes, oh, he's one of those guys that talks about Jesus. And I go, dang. 
you know? But I thought, you know what, we could sit high in the bleachers, we could make out, it'll be cool. And, and then I, f- I heard the story of Jesus for the first time. Like for the very first time I heard that story and I'm like, oh my gosh, how come, how come nobody's told me this? If this is true, this is what I thought. I thought, if this is true, this changes everything that I thought I knew about life and the world. And, and I snuck back every single night that week. And, and over the next couple months, I argued with her. I argued with her parents. I argued with all her friends. That was the youth group. I didn't realize that. I argued, I argued with her pastor. His name was Ted. He was a really big, tough guy who had been a missionary in Africa for like 30 years. And like, I just argued with all of them. And eventually, like one night reading the Gospel of John alone in my bedroom on a, on a really cool beanbag chair that I made myself, uh, I, I just invited Jesus to like take control of everything in my life. And, and uh, it was that church that discipled me. It was that church that kind of poured life into me. They taught me about the scriptures. They taught me about prayer. They taught me about loving my neighbors, myself, and taught me about the Holy Spirit. And, and, uh, and, and when I was walking into that church one day, they had one of those little bricks on the side of the church just like you guys have out front here one of those little bricks on the side that had a date on it and the date out here was like 2005 but their date was like 1957 and it was like two years before I was born and so like I asked one of the guys like what does that thing mean like 1957 established 1957 and and he's like well that's when the church was planted and I go planted like I didn't realize that like in America, there's like, I don't know, in the neighborhood of like 425,000 Protestant churches. And at some point, like every single church in America was it started, it was begun. And it wasn't begun because people needed a little Christian country club to go to. It was begun because there was somebody who wanted to bring the gospel, bring the presence and the power of the resurrected Christ to a new community, to a new neighborhood, to a new city, to a new county. And then, and, and, then, and, and then and there's lots of different kinds of churches because we all connect differently. And in the vineyard, one of the things that I got taught early on was that God loves the whole church. I love the way you guys prayed for the Gospel Light Baptist Church. Like God loves the whole church, like the whole thing. And we're different. You know, some have like bells and whistles and some have bells and smells and some like clap a lot and some like just get on their knees a lot and cry and and, and that's like, it's all good. It's, it's like, like God loves the whole thing. And different ones of us connect to different of the churches. And, 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 and I, just, I just honestly think that like there's no community in America that couldn't use a good, healthy vineyard church. Because like, like I connect to the vineyard like it's my own family. It's like, like you guys are stuck with me. <laughs> it's awesome, you know. And so it's like, like that's, that's the whole deal. That's why we do that. And, and unbeknownst to many of us, uh, that's the biblical pattern. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Acts chapter 18. If you have a Bible or a phone or whatever you got, like pull it out and let's look at Acts 18. And I want to look at how it's the biblical pattern uh, that we uh, plant churches. And uh, I just want to show you kind of what that's about and kind of just unpack some stuff from that that kind of highlights like how does this take place? Because Maybe you've been involved in this church from the get-go and you've seen that happen over and over or maybe you're newer and like this is kind of a, a newer concept to you. I just want to show you in the pages of scripture where this takes place and then we're going to have some good ministry time here in a few minutes. So let me pray and I'll read like the first five verses and we'll start unpacking that. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your presence, your grace here this morning and the ways that you love us 
and, and, and the ways that you fill us with your power and your presence. And then you send us out over and over and over again. And, and, and Father, I just thank you for the heritage of this church and all the cool things that you've done through this community and, and all the things that you have planned in the future for this community. And, and, and I just say yes and amen to every single one of those things. We just say yes, Lord. Would you continue to do that? Would you teach us today from your word? Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? And would you speak to every single one of us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, uh, Acts chapter 18. Here's how it starts out. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. We'll get back to the passage in a minute, but let me stop there just for a second and unpack a few things. Uh, In the vineyard, we plant churches because we believe it's the biblical pattern that basically Christian mission is really all about the beginning of new churches, the planting of new churches. So when you trace the expansion of Christianity from the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, you see that church planters led the way. That Paul and Barnabas, you know, they just didn't go out and do missionary outreach. When they, when they left a place, like when they leave Corinth, like the, you know, 18 months after they get there, they leave a church in their wake. They planted churches. And you see this again and again and again. Listen to this little bit from Acts 14. It says the same kind of thing. It said they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. And Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. And, and so the main reason in the vineyard that we're all about church planting and growing healthy churches is because we believe it's the biblical pattern. This is like what we're supposed to be doing. It's, it's the biblical mandate. And it might be surprising, but I think it's the essential thing that Jesus invited us to do. And so when you think of Jesus' last words, as he's getting ready to ascend to heaven, he, he gathers his disciples, and this is what he says in Matthew chapter 28. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You, you see, Jesus is not telling us that our mission is just to get people to pray a prayer, although prayer is really good. I like, I like to pray every day. It's a good thing. He's telling us that our mission is to make disciples or students or apprentices of Jesus who are learning how to do everything Jesus said to do. And and then he tells them to baptize these new disciples. And to baptize is not simply to dunk people in water, although being baptized and dunked in water I think is a really good thing to do. But uh, throughout the New Testament, one of the things that we see in the book of Acts and elsewhere, that it's very clear that to be baptized means to be incorporated into a new community, a worshiping community, a Trinitarian Father, Son, Holy Spirit community. And and I love the way that N.T. writes about that, a community with accountability and clear boundaries. 
And when you look at the New Testament, you see that. In Acts chapter 2, right at the very beginning of this thing, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, the birth of the church. And so baptism is like the entrance into the family. And so being the church is all about living together in healthy community. It's all about people. Did grandma ever teach you this silly little thing? Like here's the church and here's the steeple and you open the doors and yeah. So have you realized that's not true? It's like the building isn't the church. The church is the people, right? When, when folks in Duluth ask me, hey, Michael, where's your church at? Here's how I respond. I say, they're everywhere. And they're like, no, 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 seriously, like, where's the church? I go, you can't get away from them. It's like everywhere you go, there they are. Well, how would I find them? Well, you just wander around. It's like you're just going to run into people that go to the vineyard because, like, like, it's infiltrated the whole community. Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard calls it a divine conspiracy. <laughs> I love it. I'm a conspiracy theorist. The church is everywhere. And they're like, well, if I wanted to come to your service, oh, oh, you mean where's the building? And I just, I just hassle people like that all the time. Because, like, you guys are the church, right? Who's the church? Yeah, you got it. Like, we're the church. And so, like, the church is really just all about the humans, right? Jesus was in the people business. John Wimber, one of the founders of the vineyard, used to ask pastors all the time. He's like, just to remind him, he'd say, hey, what business are we in? And you go, we're in the people business. And then he'd say, how's business? Do, do you realize there's never been anybody as preoccupied with people as Jesus? Like, he's just totally preoccupied with people. I, I, I'm naturally an introvert. And so, like, for most of my, like, young adult life, I thought, you know, God, I really like you, but all these people, they're annoying, Right? I didn't realize I was talking about myself because I'm one of them, right? You know, that's the, the way that it works. But, but being the church is all about being together in community and Jesus is so preoccupied with people. There's never been anyone who's invested in people as much as him. And, and, and do you know why? Because it's only people that make it through this thin veil of space and time into eternity either with or without God. When, I, when I'm talking to people in, in Duluth, and, and, and Duluth is a big university community, and so there's lots of folks that don't like talking about heaven and hell and all that, you know, just seems so negative. And, and, and so when I talk about heaven, I talk about it this way. I say, you know, that heaven is just the place where God gets what he wants all the time. It's like he's the boss, he's in charge, he's the king, kingdom of God, and he just gets to call the shots all the time. And that's what makes heaven heaven. And you watch people go, man, I wouldn't want to go there. Exactly. So when you get to get your way all the time, that's what we call hell. H-E double hockey sticks, it's right there. You get to be the boss, man. You're like in charge the whole time. It's, that's where you get to call the shots. And, and, uh, and, and it's where you get to like, you know, as an introvert, I would always think, oh man, it's like people are so annoying, it's so hard. And, and I, what I didn't realize is that, you know, that if you just want to be separated from people, if you just want to like be on your own all the time, that's like the opposite of getting to be with God and what God wants. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this. this is, all the introverts will love this. 
the illusory feeling that it's good for us to be alone is a bad spiritual symptom. Just as a lack of appetite is a bad medical symptom because men really do need food. I would say, like, all the humans really do need food. Right? And, and, and it's like Jesus was preoccupied with people because people are incredibly important, incredibly valuable, that God made us in his image, and it's absolutely incredibly cool. And, and so, like, like, like the, the whole idea of heaven is just like it's populated with people who actually allow God to begin to heal them so that we're not so annoying to each other all the time. Do you realize that the annoyment that you feel from other people, I just made that word up, annoyment. <laughs> it's a cool word. It'll be in Webster's next year. Look it up. It'll be there. <laughs> Uh, it, when, it, when, it, when it appears on Wikipedia, I want my name underneath it. <laughs> Gatlin made this one up again. There's a whole long list of those. But do, do you realize that the, the annoying stuff that you feel from other people is just kind of like the rough spots that God's working off of you, like in that little prophetic word? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. Somebody just got that. Like, oh, yeah, I feel that all the time. Okay, I'm going to move on. So church planting. Uh, a church plant... I'm in verse 1, finally. A church plant really needs a leader. I'm cruising through this passage. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. If you're going to have a church plant, you've got to have a leader. Somebody has to get up and go. The word apostle just simply means sent one. Somebody who was sent. And, and so Paul was sent from Antioch, and he eventually makes it to Corinth. And, and who was Paul sent by? Paul just didn't make this decision himself. If you remember, back to Acts 13, Paul was sent by the church at Antioch. It was as the elders of that church gathered together, the leaders of that church gathered together, the Holy Spirit said to them as they were fasting and praying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. Do you realize that runs counter to so much of the independent streak that we have in America? Where we just kind of, we get an inkling, we get a nudge. Maybe we hear the Holy Spirit to say, hey, Michael, you're supposed to be a church leader. And then we just want to baptize ourselves. We want to anoint ourselves with oil. And we just want to take off on our horse and go like the Marlboro man. But that's not the way this thing works. Like this is a community together. And so I love the way that, that the Holy Spirit speaks to the leaders and they go. And, and, and so one of the things that we know about, about you know, if, if you're like an, an itchy leader, kind of wanting to get out and do stuff, one of the very, very best things that you could possibly do is to serve the leaders that God has placed around you. God worked this thing in my soul like for 20 years. It was like when I was about 18, I felt like God said, Michael, the reason that like, you like doing some of the stuff that you're getting the opportunity to do as an 18-year-old is because I made you to be a pastor. And at first I went, no way, man. Like, those guys are weird. I don't want to be one of those guys because I hadn't met Danny yet. Right? <laughs> if I'd have met Danny and Michael, I'd have been like, sweet, I'm in, cool, they're just like me. But um, I had long hair, I rode motorcycles, I played drums, and... In the little Mennonite church I came to Christ in, in the little conservative Baptist college I went to, like I just didn't fit in at all, and I thought, I'm not going to be one of those guys. But then along the way, I started thinking, hey, maybe, maybe we could do this. Maybe God is calling me into this. And, it, and it, God had to work in me for quite a while that he wanted to send me out from a healthy church, not just have me go off as a, as a blazing fire of independence to try to make this thing work on my own. 
And so you can't actually learn, I learned this uh, many ways, you can't actually be a good leader until you've learned how to be a good follower. That's like a really important part of, of learning. We can have another conversation. That's like four more messages. But nevertheless, somebody's got to be willing to get up and go. And there's people in the next community that don't know Jesus yet. And the only way they're going to get to connect with him, if they can hear it in their own language, if they can hear it in a way that they understand. And these churches, these churches, these communities that we're a part of are meant to reproduce. Listen, it's the very nature of the gospel that it reproduces. You know, uh, Jesus invited Peter. Remember that first invitation? Come follow me and I'll teach you how to be a fisher of men. Like he's meant to pass this thing on, right? Jesus kept going from town to town. Jesus was the one who appeared to Paul and redirected him from killing followers of Jesus to bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. We're never encouraged just to sit and keep this to ourselves. Jesus' thing, you know, at that, at, that, at that last thing that he said was go make disciples, not stay make disciples. And I think there's something really powerful in that for every single one of us, whether we're going across the street or whether we're going to the next county or whether we're going somewhere around the world. We're meant to go and focus on the humans and help people become disciples of Jesus. And, and I think this is kind of the weirdest thing in the world, but God has chosen to accomplish this task through people who are just willing to take a risk. Like, he could accomplish this thing any way he wants to. And the way he's chosen to accomplish it is through people like you and I just willing to take a risk. I'll never forget one time looking in the mirror and going, seriously, God? Like, do you know me? Like, I'm kind of a bumbling idiot. I kind of say things I'm not supposed to say, like, all the time. Right? I kind of, like, like I'm an introvert. I'm not even sure I like the rest of the humans. Seriously, God? Do you ever look in the mirror and think, God, you're nuts. Me? Right? That's actually kind of a healthy thing to do. And then say, okay, Lord, I'll take a risk. Do you realize it's, it's true here like it is in pretty much every vineyard church I've ever been to that almost all the ministries that are functioning in this church were started by just normal people that decided to take a risk? It's like even this community, it was started by just normal people willing to take a risk and say Delaware County needs a really good, healthy vineyard church. You don't have to drive all the way down to Westervale, right? You need like a really good, healthy vineyard church here. And it's like, it's just people willing to take a risk and say, okay, God, I'm not bringing that much to the table, but you're bringing a whole lot to the table. And so I'm willing to try to do this thing. And so that's what Paul does. So what does this kind of person look like? Verse three, it says that because Paul was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And then every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So what does they look like? First of all, Paul was the not, he was not the, I can't do anything else for a living, so I might as well go into ministry kind of guy. Like Paul was a cream of the crop kind of guy. He was a kind of guy that could accomplish stuff. And so in the vineyard, what we would do is we look for men and women who have a proven track record of ministry to go out and lead this kind of stuff. People who've actually been there, done that, worn out a couple t-shirts, right? Not just t-shirts with bow ties on them, but like all kinds of t-shirts, right? <laughs> and so you read Acts 9 and Acts 11 and Acts 13, and you look at Paul's track record. This guy could do ministry. He was also preoccupied with people, and they respected his leadership, and they followed him. And then secondly, 
Paul was the kind of guy who was willing to pay his own way. He was bivocational. He had a way to make a living. He wasn't just sitting around asking other people for money. Support me so I can go do this thing. Like Paul worked hard at this thing. In fact, across America today, most of the larger denominations are figuring out that when you send a church planter out with a big sum of money, those church plants fail most of the time. And the church plants that succeed are the ones where somebody goes out with just enough money to help them get along, and then they work their tails off, sometimes at a little coffee shop where they get to meet hundreds of people every week. And it's like those are the church plants that are really succeeding, that are doing well, the bivocational ones. You know, it's so easy for the message of Jesus to get tied up with money. And so when Paul writes back to Corinth, he even mentions the fact that he never asked them for any money. That he didn't do that, you know? That he worked day and night to pay his own way while he was with them. And so these church planners, these leaders, are willing to work hard. He wasn't, he wasn't willing to, he, he, he was incredibly willing to work hard. In fact, he did the church planting work on his day off. It said on the Sabbath was when he went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and the Greeks. And so, like, listen, I think days off are good. I think, you know, having Sabbath in your life is a really good thing. But sometimes when you're starting something new, whether it's a business, a new business, or a new church plant, or something like that, it requires a season where you are working your tail off. That's kind of normal stuff. And so the Apostle Paul did that. And he's our model for that. He's, he's doing what Jesus is asking him to do there. It's a great picture of what ministry and leadership looks like. And then a church plant doesn't just need a, a leader, it needs a team of people. So verse 2, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who'd recently come from Italy, uh, uh, Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So what kind of people went with Paul? We read about Aquila, we read about Priscilla, and then later on in verse 5, we read about Silas and Timothy. Now think about it. This couple had come from Rome. They were probably part of a church there. And at one point, the emperor Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. This was not the only time that an emperor had tried to clean up the city by expelling the undesirables, ethnic cleansing, as it were. And so this couple had learned to trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances. They were kicked out of Rome. I would bet they were personally devastated by the whole thing. But what they didn't realize is that God's putting together a church planting team in Corinth. And God even used Claudius in his idiocy to build the team. That's pretty brilliant. Sometimes you and I look at our life situation, the community that we're a part of, the job that we find ourselves in, the difficulties that we're having, and honestly, sometimes we think God maybe fell asleep on the throne. Like he just dozed off. I just thought of several jokes that were inappropriate. I'm just going to pass them by. <laughs> I'm borrowing somebody else's pastoral filter. <laughs> Life gets difficult. This couple gets kicked out of their hometown. We don't see how God's moving us along. We don't see how he's doing this. I don't believe there's any accidents in our lives ever. Brenda and I had lived in Minnesota for um, about oh, oh, five or six years and we had met the vineyard, and now we were ready to plant a vineyard church. And we tried to sell our home so we could move back to the West Coast where like all the cool humans lived, 
right? Because we were like, we we're West Coast, born and raised, and we wanted to get back there. And, and so we wanted to go back and plant a church. And every time I tried to sell my home, every, everybody that came through, they didn't make an offer. I mean, they, they said, we love your home, we're going to make an offer. We never heard from them again. And my kids were like, we were visiting different churches, different vineyard churches and other churches in town. And every time they'd come back from Sunday school, do your kids ever do this? They come back from Sunday school and they got these little things they're coloring that tell the story that they were learning that week. And every time, like all summer long, they came back with the story of Jonah. And my wife put them all in the fridge so I had to look at them like every day. And one day I just ripped them all off the fridge and I threw them in the garbage. My kids art, I just threw away. Like... <laughs> I was making a living as an artist at the time. <laughs> Do you realize how busted up that is, right? And I threw it all in the garbage. And, 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 and the thing I said to God was, Minnesota is not my Nineveh, shut up. That didn't go so well. It's 30 years later, I'm still in Minnesota. I don't believe there's any accidents in our lives. That God is absolutely sovereign. And throughout the Bible, we see a God who's big enough to orchestrate all the events of our lives. And, and this team, they are able to help others become disciples of Jesus. And so we read that Priscilla and Aquila, in other places, they were great disciplers. They taught many people, including an incredibly strong leader, Apollos, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And so as part of a church planning team, you have to be able to disciple other people. You have to be able to give away what God's given to you. Discipleship is always face-to-face -face and life-on-life. And so you've got to be willing to get with other people and help them become followers of Jesus. You have to be able to give that away. You have to be as obsessively outward focused as the leader is when you're planting a church. Because it's not about you as the team. It's about the people that God has sent you to. And so the third thing is you need to learn how to get your needs met from God. Sometimes we whine because we can't get other people on the phone right away. They don't answer our texts. We're going through a difficult situation, and we text like Danny, and he just doesn't respond right away. And we think, oh my gosh, what's going on? I didn't answer his cell phone. I emailed him two minutes ago. Where the heck is he? And we haven't learned how to pray. We haven't learned how to go to God to get our needs met. Can, can, can I let you in on a little, a little secret? The, the leaders in our churches, as wonderful as they are, they don't know everything. And they're not the ones who can meet our deepest needs. Jesus can, though. And even as leaders, like, I got to tell you the truth. Like, we're not all that interesting. You sit down with me for, like, a lunch, and you're like, wow, that guy was really good at front, but he's, like, really boring at lunch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, but, our le but, but Jesus, he's infinitely fascinating. And he can meet every single one of the needs that we have. So we have to learn how to get our needs met from Jesus. But don't get me wrong, we need community. And we need relationship with one another. And that we're not meant to do this thing alone. Together, we represent Christ. Together, we represent him. And then a church plant needs support. So verse 5, when Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia, then Paul devotes himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that he was the Messiah. And so these guys bring news that the church in Thessalonica is doing well. They bring a financial gift from the church in Philippi. Paul's able to devote himself to this thing. Listen, uh, churches need financial support. They need prayer support. They need just plain encouragement. They need whatever it takes. In, in the vineyard, our desire is to plant churches in more, in more places than you could conceive possible. You know, it's like many of our churches are, are, are trying to figure out how to gear up. How could we send a church plant out every single year? 
Like, how can we just continue to reproduce this thing that God's doing in our midst? Like, that's a really cool thing to begin to do. And then those folks need our encouragement. They need support. Because when you get out there, it kind of gets tough, right? And, and you might not realize this, but if you financially support the Vineyard Church, like, you financially support church planting. Like, that, that we share in that together as a community of churches in the U.S., and so, like, we support our church plants financially, and, and some of that comes through our giving to our individual churches. And so we think every vineyard church could be a parent of new churches, that every vineyard church could do what you guys are doing and send out church plants and be a partner with other churches planting in other parts of the world, like Brazil. Like, every single vineyard church can do that. And then what happens? As soon as you get out there and you start doing that, you encounter opposition, verse 6. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive... He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Paul goes full time. He gets a little money, a little encouragement, and immediately it gets hard. And the opposition came from the religious people. And when you get out there and you start church planning, one of the things you discover right away is there's a whole bunch of religious people and they want to, end, they want to argue endlessly about things that don't really matter. I'm sure this doesn't apply to you guys, but man, they drive you crazy. They want to argue things. Like the first question when, when I got to Duluth and we started church planning was I had all these Christians that wanted to know what I think about eternal security and the rapture. I'm like, seriously? It's like, let's just talk about Jesus. So what you do is you just constantly point them to Jesus back and over and over again. I moved up there in 97, and so all the Christians wanted to talk to me about was Y2K. And how everything was going to end. You need to save water. And I go, I live next to the biggest freshwater lake in the world. I don't think I need to save water. I think it's going to be right there on January 1st. Sure enough, it was. Had a little ice on it, which made it cool. You just go down, poke a hole. You could like put a straw down. You could get all the water you wanted. It was amazing, right? And then they criticize you when you start to do well. This man they charged is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Paul basically says, if you don't want to talk about Jesus, if you don't want to learn about Jesus, if you don't want to walk with Jesus, fine, I'm done with you. Your blood's on your own head. That's between you and Jesus. I'm moving on. And so rather than arguing about the style of worship or how we do communion or the way we pray for the sick or Danny's latest hairstyle, you just point him to Jesus. You keep the focus on Jesus. Thanks, Danny, for letting me use you as an illustration so much today. <laughs> and so in the midst of opposition, things get kind of discouraging. So Jesus visits Paul. I love this. Look at verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one's going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. A church plant needs to hear from God. And I love the way he says, have courage, do not be afraid. There are a lot of fears that can paralyze us from doing the things that God is speaking to us about doing. And so we need to hear this. Whether it's about going across the street and talking to your neighbor and praying for them or just bringing them a really cool pie. Whether it's like loving people and giving stuff away and telling them about Jesus or sharing your story with a friend, we can be crippled by fear. But I love the way that Jesus promises he's going to be with us and no one will harm you. He's promised us his personal, his, his experiential, his interactive presence as we keep doing what he's given us to do. And I love the way he says, I have many people in this city. 
Here's one of the ways I like to think about it. You'll never meet a person in whom God is not working. Or to put it in the positive, everybody you meet, God's doing something. And, and our job and our joy is to kind of get to participate with what he's doing. We get to figure that out. And it doesn't matter how much baggage they're bringing along. It doesn't matter like, like how cantankerous or argumentative they are. It doesn't matter how they vote. God's doing something in their lives. And we get the opportunity to participate with that. And invite them in to like a real relationship with the living God. And then begin to draw them into community and help them become really healthy in that. And it doesn't matter whether like, God's called us to stay in this community and help this community continue to grow or whether God's called us to go to the next county. It doesn't matter. Like, we get to participate in the exact same thing. And so here's my favorite part of any kind of vineyard church service. Do, do, you, know what, do you know what's next? Yeah, dude, you got it. It's like we start to pray for one another. And so here's, here's what I want to invite you to do. Why don't you guys like, stand up I tricked you there. That was like the end of the message. You didn't even know it was coming, did you? I'm like a, a vineyard magician. Boom, it's done. We just crash landed the plane into the side of a mountain. Here's, here's, here's what I want to do. As, as we were praying earlier during the worship time with that prophetic word, God has invited some of you to take the next step. And there might be all sorts of reasons why you're like, and for the next step for you, I don't know what it is. But the Holy Spirit does, and he'll tell you. And the next step for you might be joining a group. The next step for you might be some leadership stuff. The next step for you might be like walking across the street and having a conversation with your neighbors today. Like whatever the next step is for you, God's inviting you into that next step. And for most of us, like if you're like me, you feel a little bit of trim, uh, uh, fear and trembling. I tried to combine those words. It didn't work. <laughs> Trier and fumbling. <laughs> right? Uh, we, we feel a little bit of apprehension about it. And I just believe that God wants to like, break through that. You know, the truth is that when God begins to invite me to take the next step, um, I generally hear like a little bit of a half-truth in my head. I think it's from the enemy. Where he says, well, Michael, who are you to do that? It's not like you're that good, right? Who are you? And I always agree with him. I've learned it's always just agree with the half-truth part of that. You know what? You're right. I'm not that good. I'm kind of a bumbling idiot. Like I'm an introverted artist. Like who am I to go do this thing? But then I disagree. And I always remind the enemy, it's not about me, stupid. This is one time it's okay to say stupid. <laughs> it's not about me, stupid. This has always been about Jesus. And he's inviting me to participate with him and he's got everything that's needed here. So shut up, I'm going across the street. That's what we do. So who wants to take the next step? Who wants to take the next step with whatever God's inviting you to do? Let me pray, and I want you to just actually come forward, and we want to pray for you. So Heavenly Father, would you just give us courage to like take the next step, whatever that is, to just step out. Whatever you're inviting us into, whether it's, whether it's uh, going across the street and just loving on a neighbor, whether it's uh, pressing into the kids next door who always seem to be annoying and just getting to know them and spending time with them whether it's leading a small group or whether some of us feel like God's calling us to actually be church planters or on a church planning team like whatever that next step is just come right up here in the front and we want to pray for you and bless that 
And if there's somebody in your row that won't let you out, just, you know, do the Michael Hansen hockey check. Just knock them over, move them out of the way, and we'll pray for their healing later. And come on up here and get some prayer. So Holy Spirit, thank you for the way that you invite us to participate in what you're doing. We, we just want to say yes to you in, in every way that we possibly can. We just want to say yes. Come Holy Spirit. And Father, I ask for freedom to just say yes to you uh, for, these, for these men and women. Would you just give us a freedom, even tentatively, stumblingly, fearfully, just say yes. Yes, Lord. I trust you. I trust you in the difficult circumstances of my life. I trust you in some of the, the fear that I feel. I trust you even I feel like completely incapable of doing this thing. I just trust you. I trust that you've got what I need because I sure know I don't. Some of us might even feel disqualified. We're like, you know, I tried that, it didn't work, I failed, I'm, I'm not qualified. Well, welcome to real life. That's like real life. I think the Apostle Paul was one of the most disqualified church planners you ever read about. He had killed people for following Jesus. Like he had a lot in his life to be sorrowful of. Those disqualifications could just be another training opportunity that God is going to use to make you more like him. If that's you, we really want to pray for you if you feel disqualified. Our qualification comes from Jesus, not from us. And so, Lord, I just ask for a freedom to say yes, and then I ask for really clear discernment on next step. Even as we get prayer today, just would you give us clear discernment on what's the next little baby step? What's the next thing? So if you're one of the folks that pray for people, you're in a small group, you know, whatever, however you guys do that, why don't you come on up? Let's just pray for everybody and continue to worship. And God bless you guys. It's so cool being here.